my wife. We bought Very an election. Nice. Oh, we did. We did. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we we were the ones who bought it. We bought a Joe. We bought a Kazakhstan. A Rudy Giuliani tucking in his shirt. We bought the correct number of votes. Count the stop the count the stop the count the stop the count. Yeah. Stop the count. Count the stop. Hello. How's everybody doing on this wild, wild world that we live in? You know, this is the point in the pod where I normally am pulling up my notes uh, and seeing what's going on. But instead, I do just have the election results, just a live stream of uh, refreshing things. Um, We can't quite pop the bottle of champagne yet. We're recording this on a Thursday night, the eve of November 5th. Remember, remember the 5th of November, 2020. On We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast. Um, we're talking Borat 2 tonight, but Yo. we're also uh, feeling the election uh, stress and anxiety as everybody else is. So you're hearing us capturing us in the thick of it. We're going to look back on this moment with mm-hmm. fondness, question mark. We are living in a moment right now. This is this is nuts, mm-hmm. you know. We live in a society. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I'm Ernest. I am uh goddamn I need to get the fuck out of Florida Hunter. Hey guys, I'm here too. Um Whoa. Yeah. And by here you mean over on the big brother monitor. Yeah. Zoom style. And I'm John King. Here I <laughs> So Drew, so you were the first person I knew that fled the state of Florida. Do you wanna do you wanna explain why you did that? Um, or yeah, I I left because I forgot there was an election going on and I just felt like it. Um I thought it was because you were just running away with your riches of winning the the uh album draft. Yeah. And you're never gonna return to us. Yeah, I won two album drafts and I decided to cash out. Um I don't think it really gets any better from here. But regardless, I decided from my uh, private island, which is right next door to uh, Jeffrey Epstein's, which is getting currently graded. Uh, yeah, I, I, you say that you didn't know there was an election going on, but I see a lot of ballots. Those look like ballots there right yeah, behind boxes you. And boxes. Oh, you mean that that fire I have set with just it's just lit? You know, yeah, I'm just let's. Well, you lit, you lit what looks like real ballots, and then it looks like you just have your name scribbled and you just wrote in Kanye on what appears to be millions of ballots yeah well hunter i've done that because i think it's really funny <laughs> like i hear that i hear kanye running for president and i go ha ha ha, ha. that's i wrote in hillary clinton very nice i'm still i'm still backing her no um but yes i am i am remote uh i am drew but i'm back i wasn't i don't know what you guys said about my absence from the horror draft but if you didn't admit it i'll admit it i haven't seen enough horror movies to to do a good draft and i didn't want well, to I'm- be drafting movies i haven't seen because the a24 bracket uh didn't go so well because of that um 
so instead of watching horror movies, I decided, well, I don't like what, what is this like a pop culture podcast? I don't like pop culture. So I just, it's okay. Fled. Drew, I already, I told them the story about how you said that you were very excited to start watching these horror movies. And I came into your house. Uh, you called me crying cause you were curled up like a little curled up in a little ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, just weeping uncontrollably because Trolls was on the television. I, this is okay. Um, this this is a true story, actually. When I was in, I think fourth grade, um, I watched Scary Movie three at a friend's slumber party, and it gave me nightmares for weeks. Because <laughs> I was, it's a scary one. It's in the title. I was I was legitimately so scared. Just like any any sighting of like the Ring Girl, the visual of the Ring Girl, yeah. no matter if it's in a comedy with Charlie Sheen, uh, I just I couldn't handle it. So, and that's yeah, why I have Drew watched thought, a lot of horror movies. I've been a giant poster. Drew thought life. Scary Movie 3 was a horror movie. <laughs> I, Ernest, do you want to gloat uh, real quick about the horror movie draft? Because you beat me by one vote. Yes, yes. I did have the winning team. Which is um, bullshit. I'm just going to say people don't respect the classics. I mean, Christine had some classics in her team, too. Yeah, but also... I mean, I, I, just, had, I just had the bangers after bangers team, you know? Mm-hmm. Hereditary. A quiet place. It comes at night. <laughs> Commercial darling. It comes the at host. night. I, yeah, I'm so uh, jelly. Yeah. I miss this. Um, just for the, the arguments. We'll, if only there was some we'll way I could do one into it. Oh, no, no. We, uh, we, uh, if you want to <laughs> listen to the backlog, it. you do have to subscribe to the Patreon channel. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Anyway, um, let's, let's get into quick catch up before we do Borat. Um, who wants to go first? Before we call Nevada and Arizona, um, we do have some catch up. So I, I'm hoping, I'm itching for some live election results while we're recording. That'd be nice. Man, but, the listeners would love that because this definitely isn't live, but for them it will be. It'll, they'll experience the live feeling. Yeah, but in the meantime, the only results we will get are... Yes, I heard the job is up six points in the polls right now in Tatooine. What is this? What are we doing? It's the Mandalorian. It's your favorite extended franchise. Doesn't it kind of sound like like a like a knockoff NFL? Sort of. Uh, yeah, sounds bad. Thanks, Ludwig. <laughs> uh, I like the theme. It's a good theme. I was we love singing Ludwig. It. I was singing it, gearing up for the premiere of season two of The Mandalorian. Watched episode one. Episode <clears throat> two comes out tomorrow. It's a good show. I like the Helmet Man show. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's for kids. You know, yeah. adults like it too because they like their action figures. You know. Um, it's fun. It's a good time. Timothy yeah. Oliphant is there. Big Dune Worm is there. It's fun. I, good time. So I agree with you uh, about... I, I also very much enjoy Mandalorian. And if it's a cartoon, guess what? That's fine. Like, things can be cartoons, and that's okay. I think that it's, like, the children's version of something like The Boys, where it's, like, something... Like, The Boys, of course, is a little bit harder, but... A little man- bit? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. There's a <laughs> slightly less amount of cursing and blood in uh in The Mandalorian than there is in The Boys. Um, But... I still uh, think this is a very fun show. We love to see Timothy Oliphant coming in there. Just like 
batting a thousand with that perfect Swagger. hair of his. Thank God he took off the helmet just so he could see fucking Mr. Justified himself mm. out there with all of his glory. Looking silver. Yeah. Yeah. He's Timothy Oliphant is a fucking fox. The 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 thing I'll say about this show is that this season two premiere reminded me a lot about the season one premiere. Um, pretty down the middle, pretty like kind of uh, isolated little adventure story that doesn't tie into any big mm. plot. Um, the biggest difference is that it felt so much more confident. The season one premiere felt like I wasn't really sure what they were trying to do or what this show was going to be. It didn't really like fire on, on all cylinders from the jump. I was still like kind of doubting kind of what they were going for. But after obviously seeing an entire first season, I'm like, okay, I know what the show is now. And I can tell that the creators also know exactly what the show is. So they're kicking off the season with a, with a perfectly down the middle episode, but it's perfectly calculated and calibrated and every moment just lands and and it doesn't have to be this cerebral thing it's just good fun it works yeah i i think that uh i think it was ben Lindbergh on the ringer who kind of said it uh best about this is that i kind of think that where mandalorian where they have landed on the show that they're most confident is when they have like almost this scooby-doo-esque monster of the week mm -hmm. thing yep. and they when were. they aren't so much concerned with like like i'd rather them take this is gonna sound like a bad comparison but i'd rather them do for this show at least the burn notice approach uh to serialized television where like there is an overarching plot but like nobody really cares that much about it. Like it can go on for like three more seasons yeah. or it can go on for like 20 seasons and we it doesn't about really matter as long as we see him. Yeah. That's, that's really all that matters. And like, that's, that's fine with me. I, I, I really enjoyed the show. You are right. That it is definitely, it feels a lot more confident. It, it was John like, Favreau directing it. Mm, it feels like they've kind of figured out what people like about this show. And like, you could say that that's maybe, uh, like listening to too many producers and just audiences on what they like, but that's fine. Like I'm not expecting high art with the show. If it's just like I can kind of turn my brain off and have fun for 45 minutes, that's good for me. We need I don't right really now. care. I mean, there's like a big, whoa, character reveal for people who are like diehard Star Wars fans that happens yeah, in the last scene. And like, fine. I, I don't really care so much about that. Like it was just a fun episode and that's what I'm here for. Drew, uh, you gonna watch Mando? Um, sorry, uh, let me unmute you guys really quick. <laughs> Mando! Uh, Drew, I feel like there's actually, like, of any Star Wars IP, this might be the thing that you might like the most, because it looks pretty, and it's just kind of fun. Does that sound like I would like that? Yeah, you don't like to think. <laughs> I'm not gonna. You're too watch busy, it. just like not just marking ballots. You like you, this you whole like time. characters that cover their faces all the time, right? You, yeah, you guys can't make me watch this in a million years. I'm 100 sure I would like it just fine, but I don't uh, need to. I don't. I don't need to fucking make me. I'm. This is why I'm not gonna see you guys in person ever again because you're gonna put on the fucking Mandalorian. 
I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna win some contests, and we're gonna change the rules enough so I can like make you watch something like that. It, it's between making you watch The Mandalorian or making you watch all of Twin Peaks. Yeah, and, I and the third option is me. The third option is me quitting this podcast and not doing anything. <laughs> oh, honey, you can't do that. You don't have an option. Well, maybe something you will want to watch is David Byrne's American Utopia. This I will on watch HBO mm-hmm. Max. Mm-hmm. Um. Base well, you basically already did. Yeah, I saw I saw David Byrne live doing essentially the same show as this. Um, as far as I've seen, like it it had the same look and it uh, the song lineup seemed about the same. Still, though, I want to know how this was on screen. So this is the version that was on the Broadway stage. Um, so I'm sure it's a little bit different. Uh, I'm sure the things that carry over are obviously the music and the costumes. Um, but I think in terms of like the staging and the camera work and the overall sort of kind of feel of it is different because, you know, you're not playing to a concert audience, you're playing to a Broadway audience, or in this case, you're paying, you're playing to the HBO max cameras and it's directed by Mr. Spike Lee, mm-hmm. um, who we talked about this summer with, um, we did do the right thing. We did Inside Man and, of course, the new one, uh, Defy Bloods. So we get a second movie from Spike Lee this year. And it's not a narrative. It's a concert. But it's still very much a Spike Lee joint. And that's what I love about it. He perfectly captured David Byrne and these talking head songs and the weirdness that comes with this incredible music and still made it... Uh, timely and 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 have like a poignant statement and all of the things that spike lee likes to do yeah i uh so i was watching this and i was like it's very well made but i was kind of a little bit curious by the choice of spike lee until close to the end and i don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it because uh i want you to go out and watch this because it is on hbo max right now free to anybody but I was sitting there kind of wondering like why Spike Lee chose this. And then it was like, oh, this makes all the sense in the world why Spike Lee would do it with like one specific number that it's like a thing where, you know, Spike Lee heard it and was just like, yes, I'm doing this. This is my idea that I have. Right yeah, now I believe I know um, what you're talking about and I'd love to see how Spike Lee handled it. Um, it's it's so perfectly Spike Lee, yeah, like be- the most beautiful way because he did this song. Um, when I saw him live, it's just, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's a song originally by Janelle Monet. Yep, that's exactly that's it. yeah. Um, and it was it was really powerful live just because it was you know it was like toward the end of like a very fucking bizarro concert, and it was like during the day at a festival, so not everyone was paying full attention until that song started. And it was like wow, it was it was very during the day. That's interesting. That's, that's insulting to David Byrne to our King David Byrne because one of the best things about this movie is that. Um, it's the control of light and space, mm-hmm. you know, this, the, the way the stage is designed is it, it opens up the space because you don't have amps. You don't have right. a drum kit. You don't have microphone stands. You don't have a, a, a giant like keyboard setup. It, it's not your usual band setup where you have the equipment being as, you know, taking up as much space as, as the people. In this setup, it's like this very kind of more open space 
um, where the people are moving around, you know, and they're carrying the instruments on their body. It's a lot more minimalistic. Mm. And when you have Spike Lee at the helm, he's controlling the light. He's controlling the shadow. He's controlling the blocking. He's controlling who's on stage at what time, where the camera is being pointed and how it's being framed. Like all of these things make it have this other life to it. And obviously I'm, I'm sure the, the live show was amazing, but in this context, it kind of takes a life of its own that I marvel that like, this is one of the best things I've seen all year. Yes. Maybe the best thing yeah. <laughs> I've seen all year. I mean, I love first cow. I thought first cow was like really impressive, but in, in a year where we've had such kind of like kind of a bare selection of movies, this is like the standout, like, holy shit. Fucking amazing. I, I agree a hundred percent. This is just one of my favorite just things that has existed for this year. And it also feels it rides that perfect line between feeling timeless and also feeling like the perfect piece for 2020. Cause not only is it talking about issues like race and equality and things like that and spreading a message to vote. It's also just fundamentally a story. And of course, David Byrne wrote this uh, whole concert before a pandemic hit, but it's really a movie about like isolation versus, uh, being togetherness and being part of a community he says at one point the reason why uh we don't have any instruments in front of us and we can walk around is because then you just see a human and that's what we connect to is just human interacting with each other which now in a world where there's less and less of that or none of it depending on where you currently live in the world it's it's so deeply powerful it just moved me in every way Highly, highly recommend American Utopia. Yeah, Drew, I'm interested for you to watch this movie and tell me how it compares to the live show to it. Um, Let us know. Yeah, it, I mean, the live show was really, really cool. Um, and he, you know, I'd seen him, I believe he did a similar set on SNL or something like that. Um, mm. It's Yes, he did. He did a whole round. He he did Colbert. I think he did Fallon. It's just, he's very, he's just an interesting guy, this David Byrne chap. <laughs> it's it's the best uh it's the best concert movie since stop making sense <laughs> since the Obviously. last talking heads yeah it's concert. just it's really fun to watch someone who is fully committed balls to the wall towards something that only they fully understand you know right. like it is it's He's so unique yeah it's an aesthetic and and like a concept and like a choreography that like could only come from his head and obviously he had like great collaborators everyone involved with the live show i saw was like so so good but it's the the level of commitment in like an old man who looks so unassuming and so normal. It's just a blast, you know, cool guy. Yeah. Oh, uh, one other thing that I wanted to point out, like an unintended humor thing and stop making sense has the same type of thing where it's set. It starts the show and everybody's just like sitting down in their seats because they're like, this is a theater. Yeah. This is where we come to sit and be calm. And like three songs in, everybody's up and dancing around. At one point, you see the crowd and there's a fucking ball that's like bouncing around like they're at a music festival. It's like they're on Broadway right now doing this. Like, I'm so mad at myself that I didn't go and see this while it was on Broadway while I was there last year. They are bringing it back uh, next September, October for a limited run because I this run so. got cut short. If, um, if and Broadway is able to reopen. Let me say, 
say, uh, if it is reopened, then I will uh, probably spend a disgusting amount of money to see this live because I need to see David Byrne live. It's a must watch. Um, it's on HBO Max, David Byrne's American Utopia. Drew, maybe you can tell us if uh, what you've seen is a must watch. Woo! Well, that's a good question. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, I've watched a lot of stuff the past week or so. Um, but I, I want to talk about Total Recall because I want to figure out how to feel about it. You want to know if it's a good movie? Well, so you've you both seen it? Yeah. Of course. The, yeah, the original but Total Recall. Seen, yeah, I, you keep saying Recall. It's Total Recall. Recall? Whatever. Re- re- like, recall. Do you, do you, how much of Total Recall do you recall? Um, A lot of it. Definitely not all of it. Um. So, oh no! See, I pull up, I get on IMDb, pull up Total Recall, and it's the 2012 version. Yes, baby, Colin <laughs> Farrell. Why does that exist? I, I have you guys see? Have no. you seen that? Okay, hell no. Okay, I just want to know, like, why did they put a fun modern twist on it? <laughs> no, we're 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 uh, we're all about the OG Schwarzenegger. Oh, um peak peak Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Peak. What was this? Like two years before uh T two? Yeah, this is like right after Commando, I believe. This is nineteen ninety. Really um, but this is like, you know, as much of an eighties movie as you could possibly be, um, in almost every sense. It's it's really it's fascinating to me. i you know, I've been wanting to get into Verhoeven's filmography because, you know, uh people I respect respect him a lot. Um this was a really, it's based on a Philip K. Dick novel. And so, you know, it's like, it's like heavy sci-fi action movie. Um, And the sci-fi of it is very fascinating. Like it's, you know, it's like, like every Philip K. Dick story or novel, it's insanely ahead of its time. The, the story, the base, the base logic of it could be released today. And I wouldn't blink. It makes so much sense um, for where we're at now as a society. Um, but the movie itself is dated in a lot of like good ways. Of course, um, it's one of the most expensive movies ever made. Um, like, yeah. like at the time, at least, it was like the first or second most expensive movie ever produced because everything is fucking practical, um, including uh, most notably for money purposes, the fucking sets are humongous in this. A lot of like exteriors are practical, huge industrial you know, otherworldly interiors are practical. Um, so there's just an immense amount of work going on there. But then obviously what's stealing the show uh, as far as uh, practical stuff goes is the practical effects, which are just fucking nuts though and so fun to watch. Um, Dude, that that like demon gut baby fetus thing, whatever the fuck that's called, that is one of the best practical effects of all time it's so gross it's so well done yeah and they're obviously you know it's not saying that these are like airtight practical effects in terms of like realism because of course they're not um this is a long time this is 30 years ago um like the way <laughs> the way that they look when they're um exposed to the air on mars yeah with the eyes it makes you it makes them look like their characters in mr meaty <laughs> is it speaking of isn't this one of like because i had a little bit of an arnold phase like early on in in the quarantine uh while i was like binging a bunch of stuff i did like 
uh, I watched like Last Action Hero, like all the mm. Terminators. I think Total Recall takes the cake for like Arnold sounds, like voice sounds. <laughs> He's like, noises. Oh, God. There are so <laughs> many noises happening in this fucking movie from him. It is it is like outrageous what he's allowed to do. <laughs> Generally speaking, it's outrageous what society allowed him to do. Um, Bill, Bill Burr has some bit that like breaks down Arnold's career and how he just like, no matter what, he just kept winning. Like, right. even though he can't, even though he cannot speak, even though he cannot act, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Like he just, like he just is fun to watch. Um, I mean, the biggest one is when he starred in True Lies, mm -hmm. which I think was like yeah. 95. 94, 94. He plays like a bumbling salesman <laughs> who is secretly a secret agent. And it's like everybody buys that he's like actually just like <laughs> this mild-mannered salesman. That's that's the fucking problem. This we talked about the rock in the same context, remember? Yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't have to be this big. <laughs> it's it's so but he was like the quintessential like he was just a full-blown action movie yeah, star like was. i think that we did this uh we went over this whenever you did your whole arnold uh mm -hmm. run but his 10-year run is like almost unparalleled because yeah. he comes onto the scene really with conan the barbarian 1982 and then from 84 to 94 he does conan the destroyer the terminator commando Predator, The Running Man, Unreal. Twins, Total Recall, Twins. Kindergarten Cop, T2. Um, I'm skipping or two. Last Action Hero, True Lies. At that point, yeah, at that point, that's when it starts to wane. Yeah, yeah, and then it's kind of starts to get a little bit more like kind of in on itself with like Batman, Robin, mm -hmm. The Sixth Day, stuff like that. But that tenure, like he was just he was raking in the money too. It's in a way, it's like kind of crazy that he was on top uh, for so long, but also it's not because The Rock is just swimming in his wake right yeah. now to be the most marketable. He owes every star to him. Yeah. So here, here's what I bump into though with this movie. Um, it's it's because of its potential that it kind of bummed me out a little bit because Arnold is great in the Terminator movies because he doesn't talk a lot um, and he also doesn't show a lot of emotion which are two things that you definitely do most of the time if you're an actor, right? Um, in this movie, anytime we have to buy him feeling something, I thought it was really laughable. Like I, and yeah, like- Especially the stuff with Sharon Stone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And he, it's, it's a fine line. And I understand part of it is you had to be there back then. You had to understand Arnold. I am aware that he is aware that he's funny. Like I get that. But that doesn't necessarily matter too much because in this movie, I think a lot of the time he's just like regular bad. <laughs> like he's just like, yeah, like, but that's what people like about it. Like that was like part of the appeal. I know, you know? I know. And it's obviously you you need the, the, the all-star charisma out of him for this role. But the, the basis of the story has so much death and darkness inherent into it that I think that the movie could have been a good amount better. A lot of it also lies in Verhoeven's uh, script because there are a lot of, you know, this is obviously pre, you know, all the, the tenet books of screenwriting that we know now, but there's just so much stock screenwriting in the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the world building is like unbelievable. 
it's it's so like vast and and sensible that like you know for so much of the movie i'm just like jesus christ are they really just like saying these lines? Yeah, so that's a verhoven special though i mean whenever you see have you seen robocop or starship trooper um because i'd say that those are very similar of like some of the things that you're pointing out where it's like it could get darker with the premise than it actually is. And the world building is so great. But then some of just the dialogue itself is just kind of very vanilla. Well, I love Starship Troopers because it's it is like almost a parody. Yeah. Um, like it, it has that a lot more self-awareness to it. It's just with this movie, there were a lot of scenes where I was like, we really let this man just like act like he could speak. <laughs> Like he can't, he can't let him deliver monologues where you're just like, oh, he can't say anything. But but think about it, though. Like, this is not a movie about this Mars colony. It's not really a movie about this hyper future civilization. It's about a movie about a guy who thinks he's living one life and realizes that his life is actually completely different than what he thought it was. You know, so it's a it's a bit more contained and uh, I guess like cerebral than what you would make now in the 21st century where you would zoom out and and, you know, see the whole world that's being set up here. So they they were really just focused on like this more sort of kind of character based story. Obviously, like Arnold's not your you're Daniel Day Lewis. I know, I know. But there's, there's just a middle ground he, where, he like, solid it's. I don't want him to be a character, and like, so it's cool that this is a character-based story. But like, I love the world we're in, and the main character to me is like nothing. Like, because I, I cannot make myself give a fuck about that guy. Right, <laughs> like, he's just right. so nothing. Um, that said, though, the movie's like crazy fun. Like, it's just, um, of course, yeah, it's, it's a fucking blast. All the practical effects are so fun. The acting is so over the top. It's not just Arnold. There's just so much like insane acting. Um, I was surprised by how much of uh, this you could see in Inception, something like that. This this deals a lot in dreams and like convincing someone whether or not they're in a dream and a dream within a dream. Um, you know, what- and then at the end, you don't really know. You're like, uh, is it? Yeah. Is it real? Did it happen? Exactly. You don't know. Um, and it's well done. Yeah. No. It, it's it's. It's just, it's very fascinating. Like, I, I love the world building. I love the, the premise. Um, I just think, like, Arnold is just so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Him just, just imagining him just being like a guy who goes to work doing a jackhammer and he's like, maybe there's something else out there. <laughs> he's just a professional jackhammer. He's like, oh, well, back at the jackhammer day. That's so funny. <laughs> Oh, but it's, yeah, I, I totally recommend it though. It's just, it's a very fun watch. Total Recall, I believe it is on Netflix right now. Um, Hunter, why don't you finish this up before we get to Borat? All right. Um, so this will kind of lead into uh, our discussion about Borat. So, of course, um, we are talking about Borat 2 as the main thing this week. And I was kind of saving it a little bit because uh, I wanted to watch it right around uh podcasting and also for the election to get kind of more of the vibe so i started watching i did a double feature on the tuesday night as the bouts were coming in uh partially to keep it fresh and partially because i knew that uh things weren't gonna look great for dims for the first couple hours there so uh 
went ahead and threw on 1975 shampoo, uh, which you can watch right now. It's on the Criterion channel. Um, Along with a bunch of other, a bunch of stuff. Uh, watching stuff. the polls, I think, is the name of the collection they have out right now. Along with like election and a few uh, really, really great documentaries. But um, it's from 1975 from Hal Ashby. Uh, 1975. We'll get into it whenever we do the uh, Oscar movie draft. But it might just be like the best movie year in history if you look at the Oscar movies. The Jaws and Jaws came out that year. Uh, One Flew came out that year. Oh uh, there's Barry Lyndon, Dog oh. Day Afternoon, oh. um, Nashville. Like there's just so many bangers in this time, but. Speaking to Shampoo, um, of course, we, on a previous pod, uh, sang the praises of Hal Ashby with Being There and talked about, I mean, Being There is just one of my favorite movies ever made. Um, And also he made Harold and Maude, which is another movie that I fucking adore. Um, But Shampoo, it's, it's interesting. I haven't really sorted out my feelings on this all the way because it is an election movie it's in the backdrop of nixon's uh first election to office in 1968 but it's not really about the political landscape directly it's more about what sexual politics were at the time and like how that was shifting from the 60s into the 70s um it is written and uh, starring Warren Beatty along with Hal Ashby. Um, or, no, excuse me. Starring Hal Ashby or starring Warren Beatty. It's written by Robert Town, the legendary screenwriter. Um, and it's also starring Julie Christie, Goldie Hawn, Lee Grant, Jack Warden. So it is like a star-studded 1970s cl- cast. And it uh, it the basic premise is that uh, Warren Beatty went to a uh went to beauty school to be no a way. barber just so that he could have sex with women <laughs> and he is like the most charismatic dude ever like he's fucking probably like you only see like probably like five or six of the girls they slept with but you know that he's just like actively sleeping with like 40 different women the movie starts with him where he's at a girl's house and he's just like oh no i got i got a real thing like i gotta go over there right now like as he's having sex with a woman he leaves her and then goes ha- goes and has sex with goldie hahn um so, you get so STDs, kids. that's the thing some of this it's like luckily the way that hal ashby directs it is it's kind of farcical like at no point are you just like yeah man this warren Beatty, he's he's a good guy i like this guy i think i think warren Beatty might be thinking uh that he is a good (laughs) charismatic person that everybody wants to be but it doesn't really come across that way um which i think that's kind of where the road that I'm coming in against this movie, it's definitely, it's a fascinating movie to watch now as kind of like a period piece. Cause you're like, this movie would just never get made today. Um, just because of the sexual politics yeah. behind it. Cause they were changing from 1960s, to 1970s. And, uh, they've definitely changed a lot since the seventies to now. Um, but I do recommend it a lot. If you do have the criterion channel, otherwise you can rent it for like three bucks. Um, like all Hal Ashby movies, it's a quick and easy watch. It's under two hours. It's like an hour 45 or something like that. Um, really, really good. Uh, I decided that I just want to watch through all of Hal Ashby's movies because he's just one of like the forgotten great directors of that time period. 
because he's not like a Coppola or a Spielberg, any of those like big name guys who want to do like massive, massive things. But the number of movies that he's making that I either adore or at least am fascinated with is definitely growing. Shampoo. So how does this tie into Borat? So uh, it is an election movie and I followed it up after watching Shampoo and kind of scratched my head and thought about it for like 30, 40 minutes. Then I decided to uh, just watch something to unwind a little bit. I just wanted to watch uh, Mr. Sasha Baron Cohen maybe shit in a napkin and hand it to some conservatives. Uh, <laughs> so should we talk about the first Borat? I think yes. we should. We yeah. might as well. We've never I, talked about Borat before. I so. rewatched it mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen it since like the heyday of when it was you know a cultural phenomenon um and it's crazy that like going back to watch the for the first borat it arguably feels more pertinent to the times than it did 16 years ago or whatever it was was bush era yeah i mean i'm sure it felt pertinent then and i mean we were young you know we were like we were like 10 or something, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in the Trump era, you watch that first Borat, you see the seeds of what would become the Republican Party that elects Donald Trump mm-hmm. to become president. It's 100%. right there. It's all there. It's a straight line from the people he's ridiculing in that movie. And I loved, loved revisiting this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it holds up incredibly well. And I think that he's able to be so dumb and idiotic and like offensive and absurd and still find a way to make you like think and ponder and like <laughs> make like really kind of deep statements about our country. Uh, and he's an Englishman, right? He's an Englishman posing as a middle a Jewish Englishman. There you go. Uh, as a Middle Eastern man gallivanting across America, just fucking with people. And in the second one, you know, he has to find creative ways to do the same thing again. But if we're just sharing thoughts on, on the first one, I think that it's just it it's just a genius move. It's just a genius move that paid off incredibly well because there was no guaranteed that this movie was going to be a hit. You know, it's so ridiculous. It's so, so ridiculous. And I I just think it holds up incredibly well. Also, just because we're in an age now where we have people like Nathan Fielder and Kyle Mooney mm-hmm. and all of these other, you know, kind of guerrilla um, comedy guys who have followed in Sacha Baron Cohen's footsteps and what he did with Borat. You know, I mean, he's obviously not the first person to do it, but knowing how much we, we stand Nathan Fielder and love Nathan for you. It's like going back to see that this first movie, it's, it's almost like a Rosetta stone a little bit of what Nathan was able to do. I loved it. I think it was great. What do you guys think of the first one? I wish I had seen it when I was young. Um, I didn't see it until like I was in college, I think, for some reason. And uh, this is everything that I love, (laughs) like in a movie. Like it's it's incredible. Um, The first Borat, and 
you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be talking about this a lot because the biggest difference that you could have is just inherent in between the first and the second one, which is the first one just took the world by like surprise. It was just like an abject shock to go into a movie theater and see what he pulled off when uh, Sasha back then was known. He was more known in England as Ali G from the Ali G show, which was a, you know, a, a prank talk show where, you know, which is again, if we're speaking influential, uh, Eric Andre, um, but it was, yeah, it was a prank talk show where he would, you know, he would do a lot of, uh, biting political stuff, get conservatives on and then, uh, you know, trap them into saying some really stupid shit. Um, and yeah, the first Borat movie is just unbelievable. Um, uh, like you said, it, it's not, it seems so prescient now. And that's because, uh, I think a lot of people have like rose colored glasses, even still about the Bush era. I think they, they like genuinely either like, you know, they're, if you're like around our age, there's a good chance you just weren't like plugged in politically. You don't know what things were like, but post Iraq war, America was a farce of patriotism. It was an absolute joke. And it was literally just begging for someone to come in and pop the balloon. And he came in and he did it so fucking surgically. And there was this innocence toward, uh, you know, toward being on camera back then because we didn't live in a society where you're all, you know, there's always phone cameras around and like everyone's all a lot more self-aware about their surroundings. Um, and he was really, he was able to, you know, pull off a fucking heist of a movie. It's incredible. Exactly. It's yeah. And I think, I, I think a lot of these moments feel a lot more genuine in the first movie than in the second movie. And I think, I think the bits in the second movie are still great, but I think they had to jump through way more mm -hmm. hoops yeah. to get people to buy into it just because we have cameras everywhere. Now right. everybody has a camera crew following them around all the time. I, I mean, that's kind of that. It really is. It's like you were saying, or that like, that is the genius of this movie is what this movie did for this as a comedy genre that there would not be Nathan Fielder there would not be Kyle Mooney if it weren't for the impact that Borat had on its society I remember like this was like one of my favorite this and Napoleon Dynamite I used to like watch on a loop back in the day it's funny because as like a middle school aged boy I'm just like quoting like the shitty over I'm just like my wife and oh, stuff well, like that well. and so much of this movie very clearly just went right over my head and like some of the themes that same. it's trying to do. I felt the and exact same way watching. I was just kind of like baffled by it. You are right. That it just lays all the seeds for what conservatism became. Cause it's just baffling. Just putting on it, turning on a camera for some of these people and just having them speak. Uh, I mean, the, the RV, two most the notable RVC, examples, dude. yes. Uh, one of them was I, I was going to say was the rodeo that happens, yes. which actually started a real riot, and like they had to cut the scene short because they had people started like yeah. sh chucking beer bottles at them, Kazakhstan and like is the best country in the world. <laughs> um, it's so like that was insane that that even happened that because they like got death threats and stuff like that yeah. and right before that happens you have a guy saying just like yeah man uh we had them like them 
them homosexuals we would just hang them up in the trees if we could like it's <laughs> insane that people are saying these things and then the rv scene which that is the true like uh the seedling that became uh the QAnon trumpers, trumpers yeah, and everything else like that people who say that like in this country women and minorities have more power than white men yeah. and they should have like <laughs> like just be saying One of them's the like, most we should have things. slaves yes he he just says that to the camera it's like my jaw was yeah. dropped. Like I could not believe what yeah. I was seeing. And, it, and this is yeah, this has been around forever. But he just he shined a light on it in a way that was so undeniably funny that it crossed uh, political barriers. Even though obviously, uh, you know, conservatives at large were not a fan of the movie. It was it is undeniably great though. Like it's just undeniably so funny and impactful. If you want like a good read, go on the Wikipedia page and read every person who tried to sue this movie because yeah. the list is extensive of how many people tried to file lawsuits. This movie was nominated for an Oscar. This movie was screenplay, nominated right? for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. And sidebar, it lost to The Departed, which is baffling to me because The Departed has a screenplay that's fucking nonsense. And it makes no Micro sense. Microprocessors. <laughs> that's... Um, Anyways, I'm not going to do an Oscar rant uh, on this podcast. So, so broken but... Boston voice or Borat voice? How are <laughs> well, we feeling? It is. It's crazy to me that this was nominated for screenplay because there's only three actors in this entire movie. The three or er, yeah. four actors because it's uh Borat, uh his producer, um the woman I can't remember what her name was um Lunell. Uh, the, and then the prostitute. Yes, Dude, and then that Pamela Anderson, so... who's not really an actor, but she knew what was happening. That is such a genius move to put that character in the movie because this movie doesn't have a plot, and then you introduce that character, and it's a setup for to a payoff that you never see coming. And then yeah, at the we'll end, talk... that's something that Borat Two does do well is some of the things yeah, the way that's able to the way that's able to do a setup without you realizing that's a setup, right? But in the first movie, you're not really watching it for the story. But then with the prostitute character, you actually get like a pretty great emotional payoff at the end that really ties the whole movie together. Because so a lot of these bits, they just feel kind of like one-offs. Mm -hmm. And then they're able uh, – the, the, the whole ending sequence when he's back in Kazakhstan, I just felt like it just – it really puts a pin on like everything that he's trying to accomplish with the movie so well. And it actually like kind of got me emotionally a little bit. I was like, wow, like he's actually making a really genuine uh, intelligent statement about America and about humanity and, and about society. Like it just, it just worked as stupid as it gets and as absurd as it gets and as offensive as it gets, because that's the thing is like, not just conservatives, like, Anybody will get offended watching this movie. I I was offended when they're like in the Jewish couple's uh, oh house my, yeah. and they're throwing <laughs> money at the cockroaches. It's like he's finding a way to hit everybody's buttons. And that's the point. And now with the second movie, I think we had, without knowing it, we had to have a second Borat movie in 2020 mm -hmm. because it is a year of us being completely bludgeoned over the head day after day. And this, th that wasn't the case when the first movie came out. 
you know, the, the first movie kind of found an audience and it kind of had this like wildfire spread of, 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 of its own cultural moment, regardless of the, the culture that it was commenting on. Now it's like the inverse, right? Now the, mm-hmm. the culture is the wildfire and the movie is emerging within it. It came out of nowhere. It came absolutely out of nowhere. Nobody knew that this movie was coming. Adam, friend of the pod, yeah, messaged Adam. us one day and he was like, I saw Borat too. Yeah, we were like, wait, what? And he was like, no, it was a secret screener. You can't say anything about it. But yeah. Borat 2 exists. Yeah. Uh, he, could, he couldn't tell us anything about it. He wasn't allowed. He was probably NDA'd. Um, but that's when we knew that it existed. Yeah, and this is, uh, I mean, it's also, you know, it's a it's a feat that it was kept so secret and you know all glory be to NDAs because the I don't know if you guys like paused and screen grab for the special thanks list um but there are two pages of special thanks um and you will it is a fucking murderer's row of funny people like you'll recognize so many names on there um and in that way Borat 2 reminds me a lot of the mystery science reboot that they did on Netflix mm. because it informed so many people's comedy perspectives the same way that mystery science do. The, the first one, the first iteration of Borat and mystery science came out with, you know, little to no fanfare. People didn't, were not anticipating it in any way. It was a small production. It was like a little upstart, almost like, you know, it was a guerrilla filmmaking in the same way that, you know, old mystery science cost like two bucks and came on like, you know, Canadian uh, local cable access TV for a while. Yeah. And th- but so many people were so influenced by it that when the opportunity came to make another one, you could call just about any comedy person in Hollywood and they would say, hell fucking yes. Like, get just get me in one of the uh, punch up rooms, because that's what most of these special things are. It's just uh, punch up rooms of, of people doing it. And. Uh, most importantly, uh, speaking toward the influence of Borat on Nathan Fielder, this is directed by Jason Wolliner, who co-created Nathan for you mm-hmm. and directed yep. many of its go. best episodes. Yeah, and uh, that makes a lot of sense to me because this movie has more narrative to it than the first one. Um, partially, like you said, because it, it's harder for Sasha Baron Cohen to sneak up on people in America in the year 2020, 2019 when they were shooting this. Um, but also Jason Wolliner is really good at weaving a, you know, a fake narrative into an agro filmmaking movie. Uh, like he did so much with Nathan for you. Making it look easy too. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's the thing is like, I didn't know that this movie was about um, Borat having a daughter, you know, like you don't think that's what you're getting into. Yeah. And so many of the bits in the movie can be completely removed from that. But so many of them are intrinsically tied to that mm-hmm. and they all flow together. It's, it's genius. So Borat subsequent movie film, uh, th- there's a much longer title. Um, Don't worry about it. Should I read no. it? <laughs> yeah. Delivery yeah, of party yeah. goes bride to American regime to make benefit one glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Um, it's out on Amazon Prime Video right now. It's actually like one of the most viewed 
things of 2020. Yeah, if you have Prime, you have it. It's yeah. a good move on their part to make it so you don't, you know, they could have paywalled it even though they own it. They could have paywalled it for Prime members, but they didn't. And yep. back to and back to my point about um how we kind of needed this movie. It's like it's it's everybody is 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 gravitating towards it. It's just like we're itching for something to bring us some sort of relief this year. And this is like the closest thing that we have to it. Not only is it a comedy, but he is able to perfectly get on the pulse of the problems that this country is facing. Right. And it's so, so crazy to me that almost 70 million people voted for Donald Trump, but that's the reality. They're not Russian bots. They're not manipulated numbers. These are real human beings. And that's who, Sacha Baron Cohen is interested in kind of putting a spotlight on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so fascinating to me because what this movie shows is that they're people. They are just people. They're not goblins. They're not demons. They might have tendencies that favor evil people and authoritarianism and fascism. But what this movie shows us is that it's like, it's your fellow man, your neighbor, the person you wave to uh, on your way to to work or to get the mail, that's who is supporting this fucking maniac in the White House. That's one of the genius things about this movie. And obviously, it's doing a lot. It's doing it's doing so much. And and I don't know if it does it all perfectly well. It's a lot of fun. Uh, maybe not as fun as the first one, but it's more ambitious. It's 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 more. Uh, Again, yeah, just trying to do more, and I, I I admire the hell out of it for it. I yeah, I mean, I just thought this movie was really fun. I it's not quite on the same level as the original Borat for me. I think part of that goes to the fact that they tried to do a lot more plot centric of a storytelling than they did with the original one, partially because they had to like they had to make things run a little bit more movie like because people just know who Borat is at this point and they do kind of play with that at the very beginning of this movie but the revelation of this movie over Sasha Baron Cohen for me is who plays his daughter uh Maria Bakalova Bakalova I think um I thought she was incredible like she is a Bulgarian actress she has not really done anything else before but she is able to carry a lot of scenes by herself, scenes that Sasha is not in where it's just her doing stuff because she does have that unknown factor where people don't yeah. know her face and she can kind of do what Sasha was able to get away with uh, in the 14 Borat. years ago yep. in the first Borat film. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so well done. Some of her scenes, there's definitely some very, very serious highs that we'll get into in like kind of a more of a spoilery segment of the pod. But it's it still was just like, I'm just happy that this movie exists. And it does kind of we talked about the RV people in the first Borat. 
and we see the evolution. We could it could just be those same guys just grown up a little bit that are now just full QAnon conspiracies yeah. talking about Hillary Clinton drinks the but the blood of children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, we're all on the same page here. This is also the general consensus. The the movie was guaranteed to be more laborious and that doesn't translate into better comedy because, you know, half of comedy is looking effortless. Um, however, with what they, you know, with the material they were given, they did a great job. You're really right about um, Bakalova, Hunter. It's really, it's really, really wild how much they, the movie depends on her. Um, Half the movie is yeah, her. It, yeah, and a whole lot of it, she's fully, you know, she's on her own doing, you know, Borat-style scenes where she is forced to do some of the most uncomfortable, you know, uh, things that you could possibly do as an actress. I really wonder what the audition process was like for finding her because, I mean, you have to verify that this person has the fucking stones to do this. You know, they probably had to just throw her into some real life scenario um, before. But part of, part of my question is like how much of these bits are actually like full-on guerrilla filming well here's the thing because they they obviously you know to it's just like nathan for you where to get in somewhere with a camera crew you have to call ahead like you it's not just like yeah oh i took my daughter to the clinic no 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 they called ahead and they were like oh hey we're a documentary you know we're making a show about Mm -hmm. you know a rather you know an interesting family dynamic and they you know they need to talk to you know someone blah 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 like you just pretend you're a different type of production exactly you don't say hey we're borat um this is the middle ground that confuses so many people about nathan free yeah. well because they they're like no these people can't there's no way they would agree to this it's like yeah they did they agreed to a lie <laughs> yeah um yeah that's that i i'm not saying that like it's staged to that degree I'm saying that like, for example, the, the, the ball, the ball scene, mm-hmm. right? Like that event, um, what was it called? The debut debutante? debutante. Yeah. Debutante ball. Is that an event that would have occurred outside of the movie? Yes. Like they would have just gathered there anyway without the movie so, coming there to uh, film it. I, the South does a bunch of weird shit. Um, I can just say from my family that lives in South Georgia, and that is a thing where like 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old girls, or if not teenagers, get together and you like try and find yourself a hubby and stuff like that. That's still about, like, a thing that, that happens. That specific yes. No, day, the answer is yes. Yeah, like, these, these events are happening. And so, the, you know, they have an R&D department that will find, you know, something that, you know, they have a website. It's scheduled. This is when the ball is. And they contact them. Hey, we have a father and daughter. We're making a reality show. You know, if you let them be a part of this and we film it, it'll be really good press for your, your company. Like these are real events um, yeah. But there is more staginess in this movie, absolutely. And it, like, yeah. like you said, there is more just like pure fictional scenes with with like Borat and his daughter, where they're not even trying to, uh, you know, be. Yeah, realized. it's just a straight yeah, up because, narrative, yeah. fictional. And thing. you're yeah. you're right, Hunter, that it had to be because there are a lot of scenes in this. The scenes are shorter in this movie than they are in the first Borat, um, and it's a lot like an episode of Nathan for you where you'll he'll do run up and he'll introduce like uh, a set piece will be like here so so i went to this guy uh to find this out and you're like oh this is going to be really juicy and then you know sometimes on nathan for you that scene will be really short and you're like what the fuck like this was gold and it's because they were asked to leave (laughs) 
Like that, <laughs> yeah. The production crew eventually at a lot of these places is simply asked to leave. Um, but sometimes they're not, oh, you know? know, like the fax guy. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they definitely just pick that guy because his company's called PMS. Um, because Nathan does that a lot too. He'll pick a doctor whose first name is like Whimsy because he just weird. <laughs> Um, but yeah, th- so there are a lot of scenes in this that are shorter than they should be because they were definitely asked to leave. Another staginess trick that is all over this movie is ADR. I don't know if you guys noticed that. There's mm-hmm. a ton of dialogue that is added in post-production where they change yeah. lines that characters are saying. Probably not the other people. I don't know. that This is all in a legal gray area. That might cross a line. But, you know, if you can... Any moment where you can't see Borat's mouth saying words, there's a really good chance that he's not actually saying that and it's done in post um, because that gives you the opportunity to write jokes and to write right. plot moments in real life moments. That that was one of the main things that, I, that struck me as uh, false in this one. Not that it ruined the movie or anything. Yeah, I mean, there's just more people who... I, I don't want to say there's more actors because I don't want to take that away from it, but you you are right that it is just more narratively driven that I think that there's there aren't as many there are a couple of like insane things that happen, but there's not it doesn't have quite the same hit rate as the first Borat does. It doesn't it also doesn't feel like as outlandish and adventurous, you know? It's it's the first one just kind of it felt like holy shit like how is this even happening yeah, how are they actually yeah, doing this this one it's like you can you know how they're doing it, it it's they do some crazy stuff mm. but you're not like in shock and, well, we've also, and there's there's even less of the oh sorry there's even less of the like kind of of the shock value in the acting relationship like one of the memories that's like burned in my brain forever from the first Borat movie is when uh uh Borat walks in and the producer is jacking off to his magazine of Pamela Anderson and then there's like the scene that a two after. minute segment of them just naked wrestling with each other and stuff like that there isn't anything like even that like astonishing watching it from a narrative perspective because this is more about driving a plot forward it is a little bit more traditional in that and he perspective probably he probably wanted it to be a little bit more kind of friendly to a broader audience perhaps mm. and a scene like that just immediately turns off a whole bunch of people that just don't want to see two naked guys fighting one of my biggest questions was like how much of this movie was written pre-pandemic because We'll, oh, get well, let's, yeah, let's we'll get into that. We'll get into that in spoilers, but like that is kind of one of the major things and it really left me asking some questions to myself afterwards. It's very cool how the pandemic comes into the narrative, I think. Um that's another, you know, that's another working on the fly thing that I think they handled about as well as they fucking could have, where it became a plot point. You know, it moved things in a direction as opposed to halting everything. Um right. The, uh, as far as like genuineness goes that i think was the biggest that was the biggest iffy thing i had how did he really stay with those guys and if so did the camera crew stay with those guys yeah let's let's get into spoilers with that uh because that there's so many questions with when it comes to that because those guys they feel like just they're in on it essentially 
Um, but we don't want to reveal too much in case you haven't seen the movie. The the um, only other thing I wanted to say is that this movie, like how I said that the the first one has like an emotional punch to it. I think with with this one, they definitely had that intention from the jump to make it a much more emotional through line with the father daughter daughter storyline. And I think that that works so well. Yeah. Um, and in that regard, it is better than the first one, um, just because. In the first one, I, I felt like it just kind of happened to arrive at that in the final 10-ish minutes of the movie. With this one, you could tell right from the jump that that's what they were going for. And that's what the whole movie was going to be about. Mm. And I think it works really, yeah. really well. And it's I, like, yeah, I, I love the movie. I recommend it. It's not as good as the first one. There's no way in hell it ever could have been. It, it You know what I mean? So much of the first one is just when it came out. Um I think it, it depends on what you want, right? If you want a movie that's more plot driven and that lands a little bit more of kind of an emotional punch based on kind of plot and characters that a traditional movie might have, I think it is better than the first one. But if you gravitate more towards like the zany fucking insane comedic antics of the original and just the the way out there guerrilla filmmaking uh, that he was able to do, of course the first one's going to be better. Mm -hmm. So spoilers. Um, so any final thoughts, Hunter, before we jump in? No, let's get into spoilers because I have some specific thoughts about specific bits that he does. Okay, so spoilers starting now. about these two guys that Borat essentially so essentially the movie like it basically takes a hard left when the COVID pandemic hits because mm. there's no real setup for that it's all about how uh, we're going to deliver his daughter to be Mike Pence's bride <laughs> and that's the story right like he wants to marry which by the way the little like Melania Trump Cinderella bit, fucking genius. Yeah, that so, was great. So good. But then the pandemic hits, and he is like, "I need to quarantine with these like, <laughs> what are they these, like? These like QAnon, like just full conspiracy heads. They're in like Washington State, I think, or something like. I think that, that they're are they in Texas? I don't even know. I for some reason I thought it was Pacific Northwest, but it could uh, be just like deep south. So the thing is, um, the, the thing about these dudes is, I believe they're real. I believe that they believe what they're saying. They believe, um, but they took stage direction. I'm sure. Like there are certain there are certain movements where they make and certain like choices they make that were definitely fed to them. And that's something that yeah. happens in any of these things that we're talking about in Nathan for you. Um, and, you know, even in like Eric Andre and doesn't necessarily compromise the integrity of the thing. But because we've spent so much time with these two dudes, it made me kind of wonder, like, well, that makes me question, is he really fucking staying over with these guys? I don't know if he is. Then that means probably the production crew just gave them a lot of money that they couldn't turn down mm -hmm. to make that happen. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the most iffy. I know we're, we'll just end up working backwards because this movie, while having applied, it is also just kind of a series of set pieces set in real life. Um, but yeah, that that's, that's all I got to say about that one. 
I well, I know a bunch of a bunch of people have talked about not just with Borat or Borat Two, but with all of these things with Nathan Fielder and Eric Andre, that there is kind of the Stanford prison uh, experiment kind of thing going on here where people see the cameras and then they start playing up to the cameras. They like are just like, I have to perform for this. And next thing so, you know, the snowball's already it, rolling yeah, down it, the hill. Because, well, the thing is, whenever, like, the whole thing with the Stanford prison experiment, is it just a... Uh, it puts a magnifying glass on things that are already there that already have been there. So these are already shitty dudes regardless, but they are definitely, you. I feel like they're playing it up a little bit more. And maybe also part of that is that they're told, oh yes, yeah, yeah, we're shooting this documentary about this person who's like uh, coming in from a different country and they want like a slice of what life is like in America. And then these guys are like, all right, we'll tell you what the real America is. <laughs> like there, ha- there's like elements of that because I feel like that's the same thing with the RV guys in the first one where they're just like, it's this foreign guy. He needs our help to learn about what America is. We don't want him drinking those liberal tears and learning the wrong story about what this country is. Yeah, exactly. So, and then when, however they came upon this, um, they, I, I like, I believe that these are real men who like have these beliefs. It's all, but it's just a matter. One example is the song. Um, I, yes. I believe <laughs> that that man did write that song that he gives to Brad, but Obviously, that song has to exist for the plot to move forward in the movie. So what happened is the director said, hey, we really think it would be great for our, um, you know, our documentary, our reality show we're making. If like, you know, you like write a song and you get him to perform it. You know, we think that'd be really cool. So let's have, you know, you come up with whatever song you want to come up with and <laughs> and then we'll, you know, have Borat sing it. That's how that I goes. mean, this. There's some real realism to it because uh, they go and they play it at an anti-masker place and uh, people are chanting along. Hundreds of extras are chanting along to what do we do with scientists? We chop them up like the Saudis do. That's a real thing that happens in this movie. I mean, that's that's something that happens over and over in this movie, right? Like earlier on, you have the lady at the cake shop who writes, what is it that she writes on the cake? Like the Jews won't take away our or freedom <laughs> yeah, or whatever something like that and it's it's something that that baron cohen does so well that it's making people vocalize and in a way like confront their bigotry and and their their uh yeah their their awfulness um and in the first movie it's it's a lot more subdued because it was a it was a different time, right? Obviously, it's like it's being aired out completely, but it it it's a little bit different this time around, just because of the the world that we live in. It is just so it hits different. It's a it's a little bit more overt. And I think about uh, something that Dave Chen said on the Slash Filmcast. He was talking about how the first Borat, that scene where Borat. Um, is at the 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 prim and proper conservative dinner and they're teaching him how to behave well in a social setting and he goes and shits in a bag and brings it back to the dinner and the woman just shows him how to properly go to the bathroom and wipe and then even says that he seems like a nice young man david chen was like all borat is doing is showing how willing 
uh, and generous the American people are to see somebody else's views and, and how to welcome somebody who seems completely different into their life. Mm -hmm. But that very, very quickly turns into somebody openly writing the Jews won't take away our freedom or whatever as quote unquote accepting somebody else's mm -hmm. views. You know, it's, it's such a thin line that where you go from like, okay, I'll, I'll do whatever this guy with the camera is doing and accept it and be accepting towards like, I'm totally willing to just be completely anti-Semitic and I'm not even going to bat an eye about it. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, it's that goes for so much of this movie. One thing that one of my favorite scenes, it's like the one of the most touching, heartwarming scenes is when um happens a, around the halfway point. I think it's right before uh, Borat goes and shacks up with the COVID denier boys um, is uh, when he goes to the temple and he talks to the two Jewish women and like it made me like want to crawl out of my skin seeing it because he's dressed up in the most offensive fake Jewish garb ever with just like holding a bag of money with like a fake nose and everything else. And meanwhile, there's just like the Swedish Jewish women who are just like, do you see her nose? D does my yeah. nose look like that? I'm a Jewish woman. Like they're so nice. Uh, and they're just so sweet and accepting of it. And it, <laughs> and I'm glad that apparently I, I was reading into it. Apparently Baron Cohen had to like break care at one point to tell them some stuff because I felt just like really bad for these old Jewish women one of them uh, who actually passed away Aww. since uh, the filming took place mm -hmm. unfortunately but I it really is kind of the whole thing with this movie is making people look inward with themselves uh, when you have something like that with the Judaism and anti-Semitism which is the thing in the first movie and then uh, with pro-lifers and probably Let's talk about this. my this favorite, one of my favorite nuts. points in the entire movie. Yeah, because um, well, it, it does two things simultaneously really well, right? Where he, you know, as part of a plot point, he has his daughter eat a cupcake with a baby on it. And then he takes her to a women's clinic where she, <laughs> you know, and they discuss getting rid of the baby. And, the, you know, this guy, this is obviously a, not a Planned Parenthood. This is a place where they like, do not will not give you an abortion they convince you not to get an abortion at this place um through the word of, of jesus yeah. and the lord and well, god that's the first thing they do right because bora is is very loud and abrasive and that works best when he's uh going up against people who are inherently evil um so because no matter how polite this man is to them he is inherently bad because of what he is um so no matter and how and, and again how quickly he is willing to accept the things that they tell him yeah so so our our patience isn't being tested the way that it is some other times and this happened in who is america a lot where he would be going up against people who were just even if they were like a little crappy they were being so polite that he just came across as annoying but this this like doctor that they're talking to blows like just basically we know one thing about him and that's that he works here and he sucks he's very pro-life um yeah and they're talking about how he like the girl is just like my daddy put this baby inside of me and like saying all of a sudden he's just like 
well, God doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, you are a monster. Like you are a horrible person. This is also the other thing that this scene does probably the best of any scene in it, which it is like really well-written comedy. It's like a, a classic comedic premise of talking about one thing and one person thinks you're talking about something entirely different. Uh, You know, that's comedy 101. They just did it in real life with another guy. You know, it's like who's on first, basically. And they set it up perfectly in the cake shop. Yeah, with a way that you do not expect that to be a setup at all. That's the thing that both Borat films do so well is laying the foundation for a setup without you even realizing you think it's just a one-off joke and because there are just one-off jokes as well so you don't know what is a one-off and what is a setup for a real payoff yeah but then it like all in the plays scene. in like the, every single part of the scene before it gets brought up she's like oh you know i did it with my dad and like this, this is why we did it in the back alley because it was our little secret <laughs> he said you know like just so it's so tightly written it's brilliant I think I think in any other movie you would you would watch that scene and you'd know where it's going immediately like you you could see the punchline coming a million miles away but with how unpredictable he is and and how able he is to juggle so much um it just works it mm-hmm. it works and it, it kind of lands like a magic trick when it lands yeah, well Yeah and again uh, Maria Bakalova is just crazy good so good in this scene. Like it's it's really really wild to be asked to do that. I, another scene that's similar to this of just showing like how gross people are <laughs> is when they go to the plastic surgeon in Texas or Midwest or wherever the fuck it is, and they're openly talking about how like she's 15 years old and she like her dad wants to sell her to somebody and there's like yeah it's like 50k and we can just go get this done like tonight um like. What kind of horrible, disgusting people are there that they're just this like money hungry or like with their pride or whatever the fuck it is that they're just. Yes. Well, so on top of that, he's being greedy towards the daughter. Yes. So this this kind of opens up a little bit of a of a mini avenue here that the movie touches on, which is like what the movie is trying to say about misogyny in America right um so when we meet um what's her name maria uh the the daughter tutor tutor um when we meet her she is in a cage she is like in a pen like an animal right and this is like an established thing in this village in a fictional village in kazakhstan um and as the movie goes on and as they they go through america um, they encounter people who, when they are confronted with the idea of putting her in a cage, they they don't bat an eye about it. There's mm. the man who is like selling them the cage, and he's yeah, like, he's "How like, many women put could it you back put- in? <laughs> <laughs> How many women could you usually put in this cage?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, like maybe one or two. <laughs> <laughs> so you have that, uh, and on the flip side, you have Tudor kind of realizing. that this isn't the way it has to be right and realizing that um there's more to what a woman can can do and can can kind of accomplish or even just hope to become um and i think all of that works really well especially in a post 2016 election world 
where you had people constantly telling to lock her up, lock her up, talking about Hillary Clinton, you know, the 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 likeliest woman presidential candidate we've ever had. I think these are all things that Baron Cohen is thinking about and he's trying to like uh visualize them and, and and touch on them in ways that don't feel like super overt or that don't derail the other things that he's trying to do mm. but just talking about like how <laughs> the the main female character in this in this uh movie exists in a literal cage and a metaphorical cage that she is through the course of the movie mm-hmm. breaking out of i think it works it, yeah it, it, we're juggling so much here um especially compared to the first one uh so then yeah we have that another another real life set piece we have is the republican women's meeting ah uh, <laughs> yeah in which uh maria is so good in this I scene touched like, my vagine <laughs> yeah she not, i did not get sucked inside and, did, <laughs> and then she goes and tells all the republican women about how to masturbate <laughs> this was here's here's a note i wrote that i think like it kind of sounds crazy but it it's almost like a disservice to the movie that it's on Amazon because uh, I watched it on my laptop and it almost makes it too easy to switch to another tab when it gets hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of because like multiple times I was like, oh, I, I got, like, and I live on this shit, and I had to look away because it was brutal. And like I still love it, but it like to to go to a theater and watch Borat one, not knowing how cringe it was. Like you're, the odds are you're not going to walk out of that theater for like. Yeah, that. you're like stuck in. Yeah, <laughs> I shout out to one of the women at the Republicans women's meeting who just had the best reaction. So they just kept cutting to her. There was one point when she talked about touching her vagina, and at first she just starts like kind of like nodding her head. She's like, "Yes, do it," and then she starts describing it. And she's like no and just starts gnawing her the other way she just had the best fucking face and you could tell like that that was extremely real like that was a real thing that happened well the one of the genius things about the tutor character is that they don't frame her when she has like her makeover they don't frame her as like this foreigner exactly i mean she still has the accent right so there's still like something kind of outside-ish about her but she starts to fit in with these people really well and they Mm. they welcome her up to the stage and and they want to hear from her they're not like put off by her at all they she feels like she could be one of them easily a lot more palatable than fucking borat is to to, yeah yeah that's another thing we're commenting on here is like the the weaponization of femininity by conservatives like tommy laren and gun girl and how they they have these temporary obsessions with these young girls who are conservative just because they're hot to them. Um, yeah. yeah. And that leads that leads directly into like the biggest fucking part about this movie that I'm so sad got leaked. Yeah. Because it was it would have just been the biggest shocker to see it. So, but of course it would have. So I mean, of course before we get to that, quick setup as far as the main story goes of this movie that originally uh borat was going to give um what was the name of the monkey johnny johnny the dancing monkey uh to trump um no to trump and then the the monkey got eaten uh by the daughter um so then he's just like okay cool i'll sell my daughter to uh to mike pence and i want to know how much of this was real versus how much was like cut in with just a random so he actually did he uh, i'm assuming it's him 
somebody actually did dress up as Donald Trump and interrupt Mike Pence's speech at this conservative uh, convention. Yeah, totally. Like that actually happened. Yeah. We're men. We're meant to believe it is Sacha Baron Cohen because we do see him putting on the costume. I would love to think it's him. I'm yeah. gonna. I'm just gonna believe it's him in the costume because why would it not be? But that's something that actually did happen. That's like, incredible. I just that that happened. But then that way that that shifts is just like well we have to go Mike Pence and uh, Trump are out so we have to go to Trump's right hand man Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yeah. Who is way he's it's the perfect choice because he's easier to get an interview with obviously than trump and pence and he also is somehow crazier than both of them as well yes which is like one of the biggest feats that a human being could, could accomplish rudy is like he's like um you know the the oogie boogie in uh in nightmare <laughs> before christmas he's like that he's like like you pull one thread out of him and it's just like a canvas bag full of cockroaches that are ready to just fall on the floor. That's what he looks like in this movie. Um, He's fucking gross. Obviously the biggest thing that, that Twitter was blowing up with is that he's basically like about to hook up with Maria Bakalova. He thinks in the context. Yeah. In the context of the movie, it's like half a second where you see them kind of like go into the bedroom together, but it's not a great look for Rudy. No, I mean, you see him like reaching down his pants. He, yeah. ca- he came out. The problem was that he came out like before this movie was released. And it was just like, I was misled. I never uh, reached inside of my pants. And I all was this kind of stuff. in my shirt. And you can very clearly see that he is reaching into his pants and he is not grabbing a shirt tail. I mean, he's like pulling her into the bedroom. He's like, holding her by the waist yeah no and he keeps he keeps doing like all these kind of like micro kind of sexist things even during the interview where he keeps like touching her arm and stuff like that while she's doing stuff he is a fucking slime bag and what makes it even better is uh maria is uh she was born in 96 so she is not a child like she is framed in this movie but when borat just emerges in she was just like stop she's 15 she's 15 <laughs> i wish that i could know what was going on in rudy giuliani's mind just for like that one moment of just pure Ooh. terror that he had <laughs> like if i could have just been inside of his brain i would never normally want to be inside the mind of rudy giuliani but during this instance i wish that i could just know what went through his it head. just it it speaks so much toward uh our, our current political moment and how much like the overton window of this stuff has been shifted by trump that he didn't he wasn't forced to immediately denounce giuliani you know what I mean? If this, oh, if this yeah. had happened with any consultant to Bush and Borat one, um, obviously like they wouldn't care on the level of like morality, but they would be forced to do press about it and come out and say, we no longer talk to Rudy Giuliani about political matters. We, you know, we, because regardless of if he was talking in his pants at the end, he, like you said, he was being overtly creepy throughout the entire interview. Also, they are going to be furious at him for putting himself in this situation. They, like they, yeah, um, but they don't care. They're like, they're like, dude, like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying is the, the entire window has been shifted over where like you, 
like all he has to say is like yeah actually no i didn't do anything creepy and like his faith will believe that regardless of what they see it's it's also kind of a perfect comment on how easy it is to just kind of make your own conservative blog or something like that and then just explain just get like even enough notoriety to get somebody like him and they just buy in right away because they're just like yeah, you're alt right, just like us. So mm-hmm. we'll do something with that because you'll spread the true message, not the diluted, uh, fake message of liberal media or whatever the fuck they think. Like, it's so easy. I'm she, sure like, they had didn't to even just... have to try. Like, yeah, they just, I feel they like dress she just did this thing. They dress her up the part. They like probably just put together like some fake website, and they were just like, "Here, yeah, this is our thing. This is our alt right blog that we just want to do an interview with you for." And he was just like okay didn't look into it at all did not have pr guys look into it he just bought right into this yeah it's it's a great climax pun intended oh yeah (laughs) he was just tucking in his shirt drew no i know come on that's that's what you do is you untuck and just tuck it back in you know (laughs) so the the only other uh thing Oh, well, I guess there's one, uh, there's two things. So one, the, the Debbie Tom ball, I just wanted to talk about like the moment with her, like period blood, just her, like showing it off to everybody. I thought that that was like one of the standout moments in the whole movie where you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> they're just, they're just like going in also with, with what they are going to have her do right before that moment uh when uh she first gets the makeover and everything and borat goes up to a dad at the debutante ball and he's just like how much would you buy my daughter for and he's like ah like 500 bucks his <laughs> granddaughter is like that's fucking disgusting it's so it's such a great line <laughs> so the, the the thing we got to talk about is the the very end of the movie um I think it's it's so stupid, but in the context of Borat, it just works so well to be like the whole time <laughs> COVID was an inside operation by the Kazakhstan government <laughs> and Borat was involved. It, it's good writing, man. It's like that is, that is but that's clever. the thing is like when they shot that sequence that they cut back to at the end of him being in- injected. Did they know what was that shot pre COVID or post COVID? Oh, of course it was shot. It doesn't even it's matter. Shot well, it's obviously shot well post COVID, um, especially like certain scenes, like when he meets Tom Hanks and it's like crazy green screened. And when he's in that Chinese market coughing on a chicken and it's like, in- Oh, well, yeah. All, all of that. Yes. Yeah. I'm talking about like at the beginning of the movie, at the very, very beginning of the movie where he is uh, yeah, kind of like... Yeah, when he first goes out the... Like, how much of this movie was made pre-COVID? I, I, I'm sure I'm sure that that setup was... It had to be post-COVID no, to set yeah, up the reveal at the end. 1,000% post-COVID. And honestly, a lot of this was probably a blessing to the production team because, like I said, in a lot of these scenes, they definitely didn't get as much footage as they wanted to before they were shut down. Um, and this gave them a perfect little, like two bookends to couch the movie on and give it way more context. It's a lot like uh, the movie They Came Together, how the entire premise of uh, Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler explaining their story 
to Bill Hader is uh, that's entirely post. And yet that mm-hmm. is the beginning and end of the movie. And it plays a big part in the middle. Um, sometimes like it's, that, that the idea just comes later on and it's like the perfect ingredient that like, you can't even imagine it without it, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's almost like, uh, Apatowian, like where they're just like, we're just going to shoot these things that we have an idea about. And then we'll kind of stem some part of a plot together. Like you brought up the ADR, I wouldn't be surprised if they dubbed in like that part where uh, Borat like first walks out of the convenience store wherever he's at and he first runs into the guys. Um, he says something about his daughter and I would be surprised if all of that stuff was added in ADR There's a because they were just like, oh, OK, we can just add like that's how we'll string this plot together is if we just exactly. That. Yeah. The yeah. more you zero in on that, the more you notice there's a there's a ton of that going on. Um you know, so like I, which kind of it's kind of feels a little disingenuous, but yeah. if it works, it works. Yeah, yeah. You know? that's the thing. There is more uh, illusion to toward the audience in this movie. Um, but I mean, this is the thing a lot of people don't get about these operations. And like Nathan, for you, for example, is that, yeah, we are being tricked in certain ways. It's just we know no matter what we do know more than the people on the other end of these pranks. Um, that's what's most important to me because yeah, you do have to deceive the audience sometimes to make these things happen. That's why we love it. Yeah. You know, so let yeah. me, let me read through the, the, this insane list of special things. Some of these are people who definitely probably help get the movie made. For example, um, Isla Fisher, is it Isla or Isla? Isla. Um, Isla. She is, she has a special thanks that is like alone and it's above everyone else. Meaning that she probably was instrumental to getting this movie made straight up. Um, but then we have, I'm just going to name names that, uh, I know Ike Barinholtz, uh, mm. let's see, Jonathan Daly. Is that John Daly? Nathan Fielder. Probably John Daly. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Pete Doctor, the Pixar director, uh, Ed Goldberg <laughs> wow. of, you know, Seth Rogen and Goldberg, Mitch Hurwitz, creator of Arrested Development, um, Allison Jones, the genius casting director. Maybe she helped find Maria. It's fucking Spike Jones, Julie Klausner, and Damn. Tom Sharpling are both thanked. The uh, co-hosts of the Double Threat podcast, which is very funny. Um, mm-hmm. Phil Lord and Chris Miller are both thanked. I mean, like incredible fucking directors who are also like comedy writers. So I'm sure that they just made a pass on this. Um, Seth Morris, great improviser. Morgan Murphy, Claudio Doherty, Gil Ozeri. These are all like top level improvisers in LA. Um, Brandon Wardell's on here. Rob Smigel. Yeah. That which makes a ton of sense because he did even before Borat, he was doing SNL bits where he was going in real life and fucking with people. Um, it's it's just very impressive, and it, like I said, it reminds me more than anything of um, the Mystery Science reboot, where you're like, really, like this isn't that big of a deal, and yet like people like Dan Harmon made time for it, and it's like, yeah, it's because it's their favorite thing. <laughs> And they got the chance to, and this isn't, this isn't saying all these people like did a ton of shit, but what they did is they were in a little focus group room, most of these people of comedy writers, and someone was directing the conversation saying, okay, on page 32, he says this, what if he said this instead? And then they just like pitch jokes. I wonder if there was like kind of a bloated cut of this movie that got shown to a lot of these people and they just decided what to cut based on what wasn't hitting 
with some of these that, yeah that's like the, there, there's definitely script passes for a lot of these people and then also you know yeah like and then also like adr jokes or like the jokes that you can do in a reshoot like that don't require like the you know real life situation to be happening um it's it's just really really impressive to me and uh you know happy for the folks who got to fucking you know fulfill their wildest dreams and then the the Jewish woman, her name is Judith Dim Evans, uh, lived from 1932 to 2020. And they have a quote of her on the, the closing credits. She said, I feel obligated to be a good person and to bring good to the world. We owe the dead. And, Damn. you know, we are, we, like I said earlier, we are being bludgeoned by 2020 every fucking day. We forget that this pandemic has taken the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And it's, uh, there's no, there hasn't been a, a moment of mourning. And all we can do right now is, you know, we voted like, Baron Cohen told us to do as soon as the movie cut to black. Mm -hmm. And now we wait to see how it turns out. It's looking good for us, but I will at some say point if, uh, we don't have any breaking news about states on the pod, but uh, Georgia is now 3000 votes behind Christ 3000 votes behind Trump. <laughs> so Hunter has been zooming into Fulton County. I've just been checking about Cobb County. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to uh um shout out to DeCobb, which is Atlanta. at eighty three percent uh Biden. Atlanta's gonna carry this election. Atlanta, <laughs> yo, shout out to ATL. <laughs> Donald Glover, Outcast, where are you guys at? But at, at some point there's gonna have to be a reckoning, you know, for for this Trump era and for this pandemic and just all of the horrible things that are kind of falling around us i think that this movie is a really good way to to laugh and have fun and still tackle these kind of like weighty topics um i'm so glad we got it yeah i think it's it's a triumph um it's awesome I, like i'm just i'm honestly after talking about it i feel like i might put it like right around the same level as the first one i i'm i'd be comfortable saying they're just as good just because like just just cuz it doesn't have like that freshness doesn't inherently make it worse mm -hmm. so i don't know i don't know i like talking about it i wasn't i wasn't too hot on it uh watching the first one and the second one so close to each other um but it's i don't know it's kind of growing in my estimation after chatting about it it's it's uh at the very least, it's like equally impressive, even if it's worse, because the barriers in front of them for this one were much greater. Uh, so I don't, exactly. I don't like it as much, but this was a lot harder to make than the first one was. Yeah, definitely. Borat's subsequent film, um, on Prime Video right now. Let us know what you thought of it. Let us know what you thought of Total Recall, Mandalorian, American Utopia, Shampoo. Please rate, review, subscribe, donate as well if you can change uh i know everybody all of our sad trump listeners um just go ahead i know you were just sending them a, a weekly payment to uh the donald trump campaign since that's not looking so great just go ahead and just forward yeah. that money our way go ahead go ahead uh next week 
we got what we're starting down the countdown to mank mank mm-hmm. is going to be here around the corner but we still got a couple more weeks to that um we'll get we'll have something good for you folks don't yeah. worry don't worry yeah we'll have something good for you um in the meantime keep it safe please hold your friends close um it's looking good for us at this time joseph R. Biden is the 253 electoral votes. So by the time you're listening to this, hopefully Georgia will be called. Or Nevada and Arizona. He's now up two full points in Arizona and a point just about in uh, Nevada. The only I'll leave. I don't even want to have to wait with Pennsylvania because I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Pittsburgh's like, we're good. We'll get around to counting them votes. I hope they do it by tomorrow. I mean, come on. (laughs) So I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I'll leave you with this. I really fucking hope that the results of this election and how fucking close it is finally makes the Democratic Party think that they should not try to cater to centrist Republicans. Don't do it anymore, people. I do have bad news for you because that's still going to happen. Yeah, I, do. I wouldn't Fuck. hold your breath because they are yeah. centrist Republicans. <laughs> and uh that's that that is one thing that uh this election and borat 2 have shined lights on is uh these people are just like out there and they're louder and prouder than ever before um yeah. and this isn't something that's going away no um and it might even get worse now that their fascist daddy is gonna lose the election they're gonna get we'll more see. riled up one thing that, we'll, we'll see what happens one thing I know i'm, I'm hopeful sure is that wawa Wawa is still funny and yeah. I think that's the greatest. Wow, wow, I'm wow. not even joking. Like I wrote that down. Wow, we was still hilarious to this day. The be- one of the best parts is when they have that shot um, of him, like on that whatever you call it, the the stand with the with the pin that flies up when you hit it. Yeah, and it hits him in the nuts, and he's like, "Wow, wow, we wow." Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Wow, wow, we wow. Thank you.